Hi, this is Time Capsule, episode 190, and I'm Tony Tolado. Hey, this is James Marsters on Sci-Fi Talk with Tony Tolado. Hello, this is Michael Emerson of Law. I'm Peter Weller. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton. I'm Michael Cerverus, the observer from Fringe. Hi, this is Miracle Lori from Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Hi, this is Ryan Robin. This is Ben Browder from Farscape. Hi, this is Jane Espenson. Hi, I'm Brad Dourif. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I listen to Sci-Fi Talk. The Avengers Age of Ultron kicks off the summer movie season. It seems to be earlier every year. There are two new additions to the cast, and Aaron Taylor-Johnson playing Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch played by Elizabeth Olsen. Here is Joss Whedon, who wrote and directed the film, on these two new members. With the new characters, you know, there's there's fun to be had in the sense of you're creating kind of from the ground up, obviously, you have the comic book reference, but they haven't been playing it for three movies, and so figuring out the look and figuring out the mannerisms and, and uh, I mean, literally choreographing the movement and, and, uh, um, and of course, finding the right people, uh, which was the first and actually easiest step. Um, you know, I only ever wanted Aaron uh, to play Quicksilver, and uh, I sat down with Lizzie once and only ever wanted her to play everything else. <laughs> so, um, you know, and they're both, they've both been working for a while. They're both, you know, there's a, there's a nervousness um, from the new guys that that has, that keeps their energy kind of percolating, um, which is, is kind of great. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, they were both right in the pocket from the moment they stepped on the screen. So um, for me, it's just a question of tweaking, and, and it's not that different from directing the other guys. He discusses Ultron as the main nemesis in the film and his history. Ultron has been a, a major nemesis for the Avengers in the comics for decades, and um, he is, you know, one of their top three all-time villains. And I love robot stories, and but I never really felt I understood Ultron, so it was sort of a chance to create my version of Ultron. Um, and my version of Ultron is not totally sane. Um, you know, why is he angry all the time? Because there's something bothering him. And, and um, I wanted somebody who could be, you know, who could be an eight-foot robot. You know, one of the other great things about him is physically he's a match for the Avengers, and then he can create more matches for the Avengers. Um, uh, but... Uh, but as a person, I wanted somebody who could have all the gravitas and then also go to a very comedic, very sort of left-of-center place. And James is exactly that guy. I've seen him do both so well. Um, and uh, um, I just, as soon as I mentioned him to Marvel, we never had another conversation again. It was just like, no, there's only one person for this. Kind of an interesting twist in this movie. Scarlett Johansson and Mark Ruffalo talk about a new aspect to the Bruce Banner and Black Widow relationship. These characters have a much, I, I, what I would imagine, what I always thought was a very unlikely um, love story that buds between them actually kind of is, they're much, it's actually in truth rooted in um, a very likely love story. These characters have a lot in common. They are two people that are really, um, you know, I think idealizing this future that they have, that they could have with one another, um, and and which is, you know, 
which is really a, um, a result of their past, I think. The fact that they have this kind of fantasy of, you know, a normal life, um, you know, finding themselves in another person and being able to live their life together. Um, you know, they, they have this, this one side of them that draws them and then this other side that is the kind of divine, uh, you know, this kind of... Uh, at fate that they that they are you know in store for and it's just it's a very complicated relationship that they have a kind of impossible love um that seems unlikely but isn't i think he i think he wants that more than anything and and it's a completely undeveloped part of of who he is and uh and and so i think he's these two people uh are the ultimate outsiders inside the Avengers. And uh, I feel like they they innocently sort of fumble into these feelings that I don't think either of them expected to have, but are, but are very satisfying. Oh, innocently fumble. Is that That's good sweet. turn of a phrase? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm on board with that, but we'll see the movie. If anyone can pull this off, it's Joss. Look for my behind-the-scenes Avengers video on Behind the Curtain and video interviews on my YouTube channel and at SciFiTalk.com. Daredevil is probably one of the best comic book adaptations I've ever seen on television or any other medium for that matter. Here is the actor who plays the dual role of Matt Murdock and Daredevil from New York Comic Con. One of the things we've done brilliantly, I think they've done brilliantly in this show, is, they, is that he, you know, he bleeds like all of us and... and, and uh, you know, any fight that he gets into, any, any conflict that he's in, his life is at risk, as it would be for any of us. Um, and, uh, you know, grounding him in that way, I think, has been, is going to make him more relatable and more interesting. You know, it's very human. Um, the relationships are very real and very human and very touching. And, and it's, I, I honestly believe you don't need to be a, a comic book fan or a superhero fan in order to enjoy this show. All of Daredevil's uh, first season is available at Netflix. It's a must-see and definitely have to check it out. Well, we're less than a week away from the Geek Initiative. At first, Sci-Fi Talk, Geek Legacy, and The Full Bleed will be combining their content and adding premium content on a special site. We also now have a podcast feed, including time capsule episodes, plus contributions from the other members of the initiative. Stay tuned for the official announcement. Look for the Geek Initiative on May 4th. That's our launch date. And we also have an announcement of somebody else joining the team as well. This summer, The Strain returns for its second season. Here's a bit of a refresher with Guillermo del Toro at San Diego Comic-Con 2014. This is, uh, I mean, this journey for this uh, project has really been interesting. A novel, uh, a wonderful Dark Horse graphic novel, and then the series. Um, yes. So, I mean, how did it come about? Did FX contact you, or...? Well, we, we, in the moment, the first, no, we pitched it first, I pitched it first as a TV series. I, I brought a Bible for the three acts of the series. It was about 12 pages or so. I described the characters, the arc, the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And they said no at Fox back then in uh, 2006. I pitched them the airplane arriving, the dead passengers, all that. Uh, before Fringe, by the way. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> And, and then, and then I, when they said no, I, I went with Chuck and we co-wrote 50-50 on a handshake, no contract, the first novel. And then we said, let's see if somebody buys it. And uh, HarperCollins bought it and uh, 
the three novels were in the top 10 New York uh, bestseller list, and the first thing we get is phone calls about selling the rights for movies or TV, and I said, you know, let's not do it, because then we're going to be writing the novels, thinking what would be nice for the movie or the TV series. So let's, say, let's be as cruel, merciless, crazy as we want, and when the time comes, we'll figure out the other stuff. At the end of the third novel, we went for the comic because I thought it would be a good practice run to see how adaptable it was to images. And we love the comic. Uh, when you buy the comic, you should know that every pencil, layout, the writer, the artist, the colorist, the covers go through me. It's not, there's not, no surprise. The first few issues we were correcting even, change this panel, change this color. Now they run beautifully. They know more than I do. They just run it beautifully. But it's a good practice one. So it's a gone long series, long, long journey for the series. Well, I think that it never goes away. But it goes, it goes, it goes in and out of hiding. For but if you're a hardcore fan, it's always there. Like I mean, people, hardcore fans were reading uh, George R. R. Martin way back. You know, I, I've been a fan of uh, his vampire novel, uh, The Federal Dream. I've been a fan of his short stories like Sand Kings. So you know, there's a. I think what happens is there's every now and then the genres like science fiction and horror reflect the zeitgeist of our culture. And whenever we come to a, a time when we are worried about a certain fear as a society, it gets reflected here. We're in a millennial time right now and we're all afraid of the end of the world. So there's a resurgence of catastrophic horror and sci-fi. Uh, so in that regard, I agree with you. Uh, we are very concerned because I think that we have never felt so arrogant and so fragile at the same time. We know everybody is afraid, no one is not, uh, unafraid of hackers. No one really knows how they work, but we're afraid of them. Everybody's afraid of a pandemic. Nobody really knows how it works, but we're deadly afraid of it. So at the end of the day, we are medieval peasants afraid of a demon coming through the window, except the language is more sophisticated. Viruses are boogeymen for uh, 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 cyber terrorists are boogeymen. Terrorists are boogeymen. You know, and I think it's, it's an interesting time for that. Well, it, 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 look, the, the key with TV is uh, we welcome anyone that wants to work on the schedule and the budget. So that limits a lot of my friends. <laughs> but if they want to do it, it's like, like for me to direct, I need to do it on schedule and on budget. And an actor needs to say, I'll do it when you need me for the amount of money you can pay me. But we would love nothing more. We have a special guest on episode eight. We killed somebody dear, dear to the horror fans. I won't say who, but we, we have a special victim of the week. <laughs> so pay attention to that. Thank you so uh, thank much. Thank you, guys. Look for the strain on FX's summer. From an established director to an up-and-coming one, here is Carlton Ranney, who I talked to on the red carpet at the Tribeca Film Festival about his interesting movie, Jackrabbit as a computer geek and hacker investigate the apparent suicide of a computer genius. Hi, Carlton. How are you? Tony Tolado, Sci-Fi Talk. How are you? Uh, this, what I, I think what hooks me right away is it is, it's really more of a whodunit uh, mystery as much as with technology. And, uh, and I guess the question is, what's on the drive? <laughs> 
Well, what's on the drive uh, is a series of uh, video clips um, that have been left behind by uh, our two main characters, uh, dead friends, um, and you know they uh, investigate these video clips and come to discover that it might lead to some answers about you know what's outside this sort of controlled dystopian world and uh, just answers about the world they live in. Uh, yeah, I mean it's actually a very grim future. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, the, the film takes place uh, it, after this um, catastrophic event known as the Reset, where basically all the uh, technological infrastructure uh, just was wiped out. Um, so everyone has gone back to old analog technology uh, from like the 80s and the 70s, um, and it's back to like pre-internet days, hard-lined, um, and our characters live in this city that is like sort of the last known city in existence, and it's cut off from the no-man's land, um, and it's under heavy surveillance and control uh, by a... Uh, ambiguously uh, you know, malevolent uh, technology company known as Vopo Technologies. So uh, the mystery involves that, and one of our main characters works for that company. So there's you know, a lot of intrigue there. Now, how did the story come together? Um, the story came about, actually, I was uh, reading a lot about hackers at the time. Um, I read this Rolling Stone article about Aaron Swartz, um, the hacktivist, and, uh, you know, in the wake of his suicide. And, um, and then the WikiLeaks scandal happened. And so my, my mind was just there in sort of the hacker world. And one of my favorite movies growing up is War Games. And uh, I just love those old movies from the 80s, like War Games and Robocop and Terminator. And so I kind of just wanted to, like, make a movie that was like in the vein of these movies that inspired me to be a filmmaker and so and and didn't really want to make like a zeitgeist like have zeitgeist elements but not really uh you know biographical and just sort of merge those elements together yeah and sci-fi was the playground you wanted to be in yes very much um yeah it just felt right uh i love like like brazil you know has like that analog yes. sci-fi vibe and also to um you know, the thing about science fiction is, is it's, it's uh, I think it's popular these days or dystopian because it's on everybody's mind, you know, what, what the future is. Um, and I have a lot of anxieties about that. And so I think I was channeling that into this. We all so, do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, great talking to you. Best of luck. Meeting you too. Same Thank here. You. Really a film to keep an eye on, Jackrabbit. I'm sure it'll be available on demand and other platforms as well. Recently, also at Tribeca Film Festival, Monty Python and the Holy Grail celebrated its 40th anniversary with a special screening. I spoke to one of the Pythons, who is now a director in Terry Gilliam. Terry, how did working on Monty Python help you in your directing career? It, it taught me never to work with the other Pythons. That was the most important thing in my career, because they'd been obviously holding me back for all those years Python was alive. And luckily, once I got away from them, my career shot to... Yeah. Great funny movie to revisit. Their best, I think, Monty Python and the Holy Grail for sure. Spotlight has Christian Slater, who has the title role in Mr. Robot. He runs a secret hacking organization that wants to bring down major corporations. Here's my conversation with him on the red carpet. Hi, Christian. How are you? Hey, how are you? Good, good. Uh, you play Mr. Robot. Yeah. How much of his background do you know? He's obviously a little mysterious. Uh, yeah, he is very mysterious. He's uh, he's a different sort of character uh, for me. Um, and uh, I like that the, the air of mystery maintains throughout the um, throughout the, the episode, and I think throughout each ten episodes that we're going to do. So um, I'm very happy about it. 
and hacking that's in the news right now obviously my mom's account was just hacked so oh it was yeah. wow wow yeah. yeah no so it's uh I mean, look, people who can control that, uh, I mean, I was thinking about it. If, if you can control the Internet, you're probably the most powerful man in the universe right now. I mean, uh, this is what we're all relying on and counting on. And if you can manipulate that in, in uh, evil, dark ways, then uh, you really do sort of have a superpower. And what about the F organization? How much do you know about that? The F, like in the show? In the, the show, yeah. The F Society organization? Society, yeah. um, uh, again, you know, it's 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 what's fascinating about it is that it's not a huge organization. It's a small group of people um, that have these abilities, you know, to hack and and um, you know infest organizations. Um, so it doesn't take doesn't take a huge group of people. It can be a very small group that can really bring down a large corporation. So uh, I think that's a very dangerous and fascinating subject to explore. I did like your cameo in Star Trek 6, too. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> thank, you, thank, you, thank, you. thank you, man. Good to meet you. Mr. Robot debuts on June 24th on the USA Network at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but check your local listings. And that is Time Capsule, Episode 190. I'm Tony Tolado. Thanks so much for listening. I am Emily Hampshire, and I play Jennifer Goins on 12 Monkeys, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk.